0: The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with
2: a handbreak off.
1: Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. So after possibly the most meaningless game we've played in quite some time, we're about to play the most meaningful. I think it's fair to say that we're unlikely to qualify for the Europa League through the Premier League, but if we beat Villarreal on Thursday by 1-0 or a couple of goals, and then May in the final, we'll win a trophy and qualification for next season's Champions League. So, 2-1 down from the first leg in Spain. Let's look ahead to the game with the Arsenal writers for the Athletic, Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello, mate. Hello. Um... Well, before we start talking about Thursday, we were thinking uh, about an opening question about uh, maybe naming one player. Do you know, there is a truck outside that he warms up the engine once a month and he's doing it right now. Can you hear that? What we thought we'd ask, obviously it's uh, all hands to the pump on Thursday, but what one player from the Arsenal past would you have in the team that would um, help us, would uh, make it more likely that we'd
0: win the game. Amy, I'll start with you. Uh, goals, 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 I think, because uh, the lack of clean sheet. I mean, I'd love to think a, a classic European 1-0 to the Arsenal would be um, obvious, but I don't think that that is really in the personality of this current team. So, as there's may be too much work for one defender to manage, tempted though I am to ask Tony Adams to uh, get changed and, and ready to put on his old number six shirt, I'm going to go Ian Wright, actually, because I think when it came to cup matches under pressure, especially in Europe, he had a really, really great habit of delivering. And I think that sort of uh, souped up determination that he had is what is what tilts it for me when you've got this kind of pressure situation, even though obviously an Henri or a Bergkamp... Um, is equally tempting. But I'm going to go Ian Wright.
1: We did talk about Ozera a couple of weeks ago, mm. didn't we? Uh, away, and that was such a big goal. James, what about you?
0: Uh, I, yeah, it's always
2: tempting, isn't it, to go for one of the great goal scorers. You know, I can't imagine Thierry Henry not helping any Arsenal team. But, um... I'm going to say, I'm going to look at the left back situation. I'm obviously very worried about Kieran Tierney's I
1: was yeah, ongoing that. absence <laughs> uh, and what yeah. that might
2: mean for our defence, what it might mean for our midfield if Granite Shacker plays there. So I think I'll pick a left back. Um, I think I'll pick Ashley Cole, actually. I think he was probably the best. <laughs> The best I've seen. But I, I gave some thought to Silvino, who was an underrated player himself and I think gives you a lot going forward. But yeah, I'll go for Asher
1: I think any left-back who is left-footed would be good, right? Essentially.
2: That'd be handy, yeah. Yeah,
1: it would be yeah. nice. It any? W- oh, not uh, any. Come on,
0: we well, a... there's one or just two, trying to yeah. think of who... who We've just, had some goodies, yeah, yeah, Who we? not... to throw into that debate that...
2: I'm not yearning for Andre Santos or Mikael Silvestre to be playing there, but... (laughs) Fair point.
1: Fair point. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, Patrick Vieira. I think a game like Thursday night needs leaders. That's my feeling. And I think someone who would basically just stand up in the middle of that pitch and make everyone around him better... I'm 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 going for Patrick Vieira. I mean, I'd take any invincible. To be honest, I would take any one of them. In fact, any of the players between 1997, 98, and 2006. But I'm having one. It's Patrick Vieira. Um, we are going to need uh, all hands to the pump, as I said. Uh, by the way, I should let you know you can subscribe to the Athletic UK right now for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash arsenal pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash arsenal pod. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. It would be appreciated. Thursday night, we have had this conversation a few times in the last few weeks. Thursday night is an enormous game. Um, I wanted to ask you first, I watched the game last Thursday, as we all did. Um, Amy, are Villarreal quite an average team? I mean, they're effective, but they're, they don't have any superstar players. They're a decent unit. If we, if we aspire to be back at the top table of European football, we've got to be winning against teams like this, right? Uh,
0: if we aspire to greater things then obviously very much yes because that's the only way we're going to get back to them um i don't know i feel in a way it's certain the europa league is such a weird competition because there are some seasons where you do come across some really very strong teams and other seasons where you can float by and and it's not necessarily quite as competitive and it does feel like um the kind of knockout run this season Hasn't been hugely impressive in terms of opposition. Olympiacos, uh, Benfica, neither of whom were as you know as strong as as previous incarnations. Um, Slavia Prague, I thought, were really nothing to shout home about. And Villarreal, I think they are well worthy of their place in the semi final. They're probably the best team that Arsenal have played, um, and it, they. I would be very very careful about how Arsenal managed this match on Thursday because I think that they are clearly uh, organised enough but also threatening enough to cause problems both ends of the pitch if Arsenal are not fully focused and fully sharp. However, if Arsenal are at their optimum level and are a bit lucky with some of the players coming back into the team mentioning no names in particular Kieran Tierney. please, 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 all your prayers that you can find. Um, then, you know, I think Arsenal can do the job if they don't panic.
1: Quite. I mean, James, should we even be in this tie? I mean, is it all really, you know, I mean, let's be fair, we were all reminded of um, Unai Emery's risk aversion, bringing on um, Francis Coquelin at half-time for a forward. Made it, that made it easier for us, didn't it?
2: It did seem to be an instance of Emery kind of sitting on the lead, maybe more than he needed to. I think we're, I think we're a bit fortunate to be in the position that we're in. 2-1, you know, I don't think the first half felt like it was going to end that way. You know, we we were well out of the game and they were comfortably the better team. I mean, as much as they might have their limitations for Loral, we certainly do too. And I don't think we can afford to take this fixture lightly. I think maybe our our potential as a team is greater than theirs, but we reach that so infrequently that it's difficult to take anything for granted. I actually think as well that in some ways knowing what we do of Emery playing away from home will suit him I think he'll look to hurt us on the break and if they score you know it leaves us needing at least two three to go through so it, it's a big ask it's a big ask and a huge huge match this it's you know as the season has worn on there's always been the kind of chink of light offered by the prospect of salvation via the Europa League and it's disappearing and getting thinner all the time and if we miss it out it will feel very dark and, and very gloomy on friday morning
1: quite well let's not uh, think too much about that um amy the false nine in the first leg i mean what was going on i know some people were joking on twitter that he'd seen pep guardiola do it the night before so oh he could do that but that seemed a very strange decision did it not
0: yeah it was um really really ineffective and i just felt when you looked at the way Arsenal set up for the game last week, there was just too many gambles. I think taking um, risks and being experimental is all well and good, but there are kind of limitations to how much you can do that, how much you can impose on a team, especially a team that's a little bit flawed. So, um, I mean, well, you know? Granted, I, I felt a little bit that he, Arteta, maybe felt he didn't have. Gallons of choice, and you know you can argue about whether he might have played Martinelli. I think it's probably stretching it to think he would put Balagun in for a game of that importance from the start. Um, but no, I think it's this, it, it's been a repetitive theme. I think of some of these knockout games where the pressure's on. Where when it's not going well, you watch and think, "All right, change it." And if anything, that's the takeaway that when all is said and done in this campaign. Um, I'd hope that Mikel Arteta is going to have a really, really good think about why he finds it so difficult to take a look at something that's going really wrong and not deal with it until a bit late in the day.
1: Um, I mean, one of the things myself and Amy were both saying that we couldn't watch the game for various reasons on Sunday Um when we play, when we beat Newcastle, and played pretty well, uh, apparently. I uh, only saw a match of the day highlights. One of the big pluses, uh, James Martinelli and Abamyang working well together, and uh, and uh, scored Abamyang's goal from Martinelli's pass.
2: Yeah, it was a really nice goal. I thought really good work from Martinelli. Good first time cross with his left foot, and a brilliant finish from Abamyang. He makes that look easy. But there's a great photograph actually. I think Stuart McFarlane took of. Bamiyang and the Newcastle defender both kind of flying through the air with their boot outstretched to get their toe on it and Bamiang beats his man and puts it in the far post and I think it's really important to have him back and scoring goals I mean you know he's been quite open and honest about the toll that malaria has taken on his body and how he's not felt anything like 100% and I think that's absolutely understandable but in the absence of Lacazette Arsenal are so dependent on Aubameyang. You know, we talked about the false nine not working in the first leg. He can play as a pure pure number nine. Arsenal need to score goals to go through. There's a lot resting on his shoulders, and he's delivered. Let's not forget in these situations before for Arsenal, he scored the goals in the FA Cup semi-final last year, in the FA Cup final that won Arsenal the trophy as the captain. There's a big burden of responsibility on him this time too, and pleased to see that he's back and back among the goals. Martinelli's a really interesting one. I think he every time he comes on the pitch at the moment, he seems to impress. He's got that energy, that directness. He seems to always make an impact. I just have a sort of nagging suspicion that he may be held back and that he may start on the bench because I wonder if Arteta will feel... He needs somebody who, if it's required, can change this game in the final 30 minutes. And I think Martinelli kind of has that explosive ability to do that.
1: And and uh, as for the um, who's going to play left back, I mean, James, you obviously chose um, Ashley Cole. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, listen, we could have any number of left backs, as we said. Possibly Granite Xhaka will play there again. James, you did do that tweet when you said you can't fault his attitude and application especially in that last 15 minutes he was one on one with the um the winger Chi- i can't think of the guy's name chingwezi
2: chiquaise um,
1: and he and he did very very well uh three or four times the guy was one on one with him and he took the ball off him
2: yeah he certainly grew into that contest as the game wore on i mean granite shacka's not a left back And I think he has coped pretty admirably for a guy who kind of athletically does not fit the right profile for that position. I think all the indicators point to him playing there on Thursday. He started the last six games in that position. And I just feel like if Cedric, who's the obvious alternative really in the current Arsenal squad, assuming Tierney's not fit, was going to play there, I think he would have been given a chance before now. We actually haven't seen him start a game, Cedric, until that incident against Prague in the previous round where he turned backwards and passed back towards his own goal and that led to the concession of a last-minute equaliser. And I don't think it's maybe coincidence that we haven't seen him since that point. So I think Shaka is going to play at left-back unless we get you know a kind of miracle reprieve with Tierney. The question then is what that does to your central midfield because... Danny Ceballos will be suspended. Now, given his first leg performance, I'm sure some Arsenal fans won't consider that too big a loss. But somebody's got to play in that gap. Uh, and that will be a big decision for Mikhail Arteta.
1: Art de Roche wrote a, a piece about who will play. And one of the things he mentioned was Granit Xhaka at left-back because he works well with Gabriel Martinelli. We saw Elneny and Partey play at Old Trafford uh, f- a few months ago. And that seemed to work pretty well. Would you not? be happy with those two, or would you shift Odegaard back?
0: I'd be playing Granit Xhaka midfield, I'm sorry. I'm finding this whole... I feel a bit like I don't understand football anymore. Like, central midfield, I always grew up to understand was the heartland where games are won and lost. You've got to get that bit right. It's the middle of your team. It's the hub where everything around it, forwards, backwards and on either side, has to connect with and through. I just can't understand that you're not, especially with, let's be honest the fact that Thomas Partey has not been uh, setting the world alight recently. I think he's found it quite hard adapting to life at Arsenal and performances reflect that in that there's been fleeting moments but not sort of a a, a huge consistency of, of excellence and domination that I think that everyone was hoping to see. I can't get my head round going into a game as big as this was a, as much as at stake as there is, thinking the left-back position is more important than the central midfield position. I just don't no, understand um, it. For me, it's Jacker all day long and figure out what you're going to do about left-back and make the best of that situation. Well,
1: this is one of the decisions uh, he has to make. The other thing, I know, James, you talk about David Luiz as well and how big a loss he is. I mean, he, he played the pass to the first goal at Newcastle. He is the only centre-half we've got who can really pass in that way.
2: He is. He certainly is. And I think... Um, I, I wouldn't criticise the decision to put him in against Newcastle. I think he needed some match practice. Clearly, though, you know, there was an issue there. He came off clutching his hamstring and he's going to be out now. I think it's a setback um, because... He, you know, I, I watched the Newcastle game and he was pretty instrumental to a lot of what Arsenal did in the first half He, as soon as he got the ball you suddenly sat back and thought ah we have been missing something here just his ability to kind of pick people out from deep positions and he did that brilliantly for Bellerin in the build up to the opening goal um, it, it's an interesting one centre half because you know, Arteta had been favouring a partnership of Pablo Marie and Rob Holding but I thought Pablo Marie had a really tricky night out in Spain in the first leg, I thought it was maybe as uncomfortable as I've seen him look in an Arsenal shirt. And Gabriel at St James's Park, by contrast, looked pretty good, acquitted himself well, was quite dominant. So my my gut says we might see Gabriel play again in this game, probably in Louise's absence, alongside Holding.
1: Okay, um, look, we could obviously spend quite a lot of time talking about Thursday night, um, but you know what, I think it's just fingers crossed and uh, hold on, <laughs> and then we'll be playing May United in the final. Um, what we're going to do then is we're going to have a little quiz, because um, this is quite a big day in Arsenal history, um, 4th of May, which is when we're recording. Uh, not only the day, uh, Amy, as you said, Copenhagen, not the bad Copenhagen, the good Copenhagen, Yes. Uh, Georgie e. Graham's magic hat, uh, I remember. But also, uh, 2002, we beat Chelsea in the cup final at Cardiff. This is the It's Only Ray Parlour uh, game, uh, for those of you who remember the commentary. Uh, so, what we're going to do, um, we're going to have three questions on each of our guests' favourite cup final uh, one random fact, and then two about the game and the tournament. James, first, your specialist subject is the FA Cup Final 2002. Okay, <laughs> I feel like John Humphreys at this point.
2: I know, I feel nervous. I <laughs> feel the spotlight on me.
1: All right, uh, question one. Who led Chelsea out in the match and why?
2: Who led Chelsea out in the match and why? That's a good question. I've got no idea, Ian. Really? Absolutely no idea. Amy, would you like to
1: jump in? No, I didn't remember. I've got the answers in front of me, but I didn't have a clue who this... I mean,
0: now it makes sense. Amy? That question has really thrown (laughs) me. Um, (laughs) I have to say...
2: I don't know Suggs my, or something have,
1: like that. I, I was to say my Suggs quiz was It was David Attenborough. <laughs> no, it wasn't. no, it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> David. No, it wasn't David Attenborough. It was Roberto Di Matteo. In fact, is who it was. It was a reward yeah. for his service, and because he had to retire early through injury, that's um, what happened. Uh, this is after, wow. I believe. Is this a, no? This is before they uh, sacked him. After taking them to the Champions oh, League, long it's a long, long time long before. before. Okay, uh, question two: the route to the final, James. One point for each of the five teams. Oh
2: my God, I've got no chance. 2002. This is difficult,
1: actually. Do you remember any of these?
2: Uh I can't. I'm
1: not sure how you could possibly get this. I mean, Teo, our producer, has set this. And I um, yeah, with the help on, of Wikipedia, remember,
0: where when it's all in front of you, you remember it all. But Christ! All right, I'll give, I you, I'll give you. some clues.
2: the semi-final for '98 was Wolves, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? I remember that very. Clearly. You know what? There's a lot. 2002, Sheffield United. No, hang on a minute.
1: There's a lot of things no, that uh, I can. We can all remember that aren't related to the question I asked you. But let's go the third round. Right, uh, just come up from the Premier Li- uh, to the Premier League. Just come back up, in fact, to the Premier League. North City? No, Havy. <laughs> Watford? Yep, um, that's right. We won 4-2. Four um, fourth round, much harder. Home game, tight. Uh, Liverpool? Yes, indeed. Liverpool. Yeah. Very Ah, now the fifth round, I have a vague recollection of this game. Uh, imagine lower league fans, thousands of them, coming to Highbury.
0: Was it Stevenage? Oh, sorry, no, um... no,
1: that's a good uh... effort, though. Was it... Um... Farnborough Farnborough no, it wasn't Farnborough oh, either that's was another one good more. It, it was uh, 5-2 against Gillingham Gillingham, Gillingham. Uh, I have I have no recollection of the final at all but we drew away one each and we won the home game 3-0 Premier League team decent team at that point as well by the way
2: uh, you have Newcastle no idea. yes it was Newcastle
1: yeah. very very good hang on
0: wasn't it's that there. Was that when Pirès did his cruise shirt
2: yeah
1: Oh, that that was that day.
2: The replay. Mm.
1: Mm. Oh, I was in Newcastle that day watching it. And to be fair, everyone in the pub was was also a little bit
0: upset by it. Uh, There's a a good story from Arsene Wenger about that. And I remember him uh, saying how he blames himself for that injury. Yes. Because uh, Robert was quite near to the fabled red zone. And he kept thinking, I've got to give him a rest. I'll rest him this game. Oh, you know what? I'll rest him next game. And with each, because Arsenal were going for the double, so every game was quite significant. And he kept sort of waiting for the right moment to give him a breather. And when he went down with that injury, I think uh, Arson felt that it was, you know, quite you know, partially to do with the fact that he hadn't given him that break.
1: But it did give mm. us one of the best moments we've ever had at Highbury, right? When the whole team bowed down to him at the end mm. of the year.
2: That was that was a beautiful moment, but yeah, it was terrible. It also gave it
0: it was terrible for Pierce, but it also gave. I think it was such an interesting period because he'd been so instrumental. He was, I think, double Player of the Year if Memory serves that year. Players, player and football writers, Player of the Year, and uh, there was genuinely a sense of what are Arsenal going to do without him. And Freddie just found Mm. a a golden patch that uh, it, it was like. A level that he was never quite at before or since for as great a player that he was and do you remember that connection between Bergkamp and Freddie oh, oh. they just suddenly decided to decide to be telepathic for about two months it was incredible the I urge come. anyone yeah. to watch there is a, a YouTube video somewhere of that you know just that special thing going down between Bergkamp and uh, Freddie Jungberg and it was monumentally great
1: I mean, I remember watching the West Ham game at home and Burkamp played a pass. And honestly, all of us sat down and went, Who the hell's that to? And Freddie comes running in from. <laughs> I, I couldn't. It wasn't even in. We were sat in the stand and we couldn't see that pass. Yeah, that was fantastic. In the semi final, we also played a team from the North East, James. 1 1 nil
2: There's only four.
1: Yes, it was Middlesbrough. <laughs> and uh, can you name the team? In confessed the final? confessed her own goal. I was it? <laughs> bonus point bonus you know what I'm going to have to take your word for it I'm going to have to take your word for it because I only have the uh, the teams in front of me for the final but can you name the Arsenal team for the final and Amy I'll let you in if he gets any
2: wrong Uh, do you want the starting 11 yes um David Seaman
1: Mm. go on go on
2: yes hang on Tony Adams played yes he did Sal Campbell played yes he
1: did
2: um Fullbacks. I'm gonna say 2002. Sylvinia?
1: No. No. Oh. You went for him earlier, by the way.
2: Oh, Ashley mm. Cole.
1: Yes. And on the other side, the Rock.
2: The Rock, Lee Dixon.
0: No <laughs> <laughs> Don't you remember the celebration?
2: Of course, he's behind the goal. Who so was ah. playing?
0: Uh, right. Uh, 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 was it Oleg? No, it was Lowry. Oh, okay. Oh, oh no, I'm okay.
2: Playing. I'm all off here. Yeah. Right. Midfield. Um, well, Ray Parlour. Yes, indeed. Freddie Unberg. Yes. Patrick Vieira. Yep. Plus one. Last
1: one's a bit more difficult. I don't. Eddie. Think. No, it wasn't. Amy. Not easy. Sylvan It was Sylvan Wiltor. Yeah. He just jumped um, in well there. Well done, Andy.
2: James. And, uh, and up front,
1: good. half decent uh, forward partnership, I think.
2: Bergkamp and Henry.
1: Yep, indeed. Um, by the way, for a bonus point, who was the reserve goalkeeper?
2: In 2002.
1: Yeah. Didn't quite work uh, out for him at Arsenal. Richard Wright. Yes, yes, right. Richard Wright. Also on the bench, Lee Dixon, Martin Key and Edu and Karnu. Uh Tayo is going to Tot up the scores after we get uh I mean, after we do I know you did, no no no, you did get some some right there. Amy, we're gonna talk mm. about the uh, uh the cup run in nineteen when was it?
0: 1994 You can ask me who the Palmer captain was. I'm gonna say <laughs> who right. led out
1: the Palmer team?
0: Yeah, <laughs> really? Who, Is that the question?
1: The, no, who was the Palmer <sighs> manager that day? I would Neville never Nevio Scala. Get this. Oh, for goodness sake. Nevio
0: Scala. <laughs> <laughs> yeah nevio
1: scala indeed and all right uh question two can you name the opponents we beat on the way
0: yes i think i can um because i went to every game of this run except for standard Liège way when I had, I had knee surgery um so uh was the first round odenza it was odenza denmark yes Right. Okay. Uh, standardly age next.
1: Standardly age next. By the way, do you know the aggregate schools? You probably do.
0: Probably. Um, ooh. Uh, the, uh, it was raining in Odenza. It was absolutely <laughs> bucketing it down. Was it? What was the temperature
1: uh, yep. and the... Uh, the? Uh...
0: Well, <laughs> I, I have got a photo of me in Odenza on their high street with like some, there was some sort of little welcome arsenal banners. It was very exciting. Oh, I mean, lovely. It, you know, European football was quite uh, rare in those days. Um, and uh, I see, I seem to remember being quite well clothed, so I imagine it was colder than you might expect for sort of August September in <laughs> Denmark, right? In Denmark, yeah. Um, yeah. uh, I think the first first leg was two one. It was in, Hol- in uh, Denmark, yeah. And I can't remember the score of the home game. Um, won all, and we won 3 2 on you. aggregate. That's, okay, there we go. All right, so then it was Stanley Age with a famous 7 0 away. Yes, and a home game, maybe 3 0. Yep. I'm guessing. 10 right. 0 on
1: aggregate. Very good. And then in the uh, quarter Torino. Torino.
0: Torino. Um, and that was great. That was uh, a really boring away game, second leg, 0 yes. 0. But it was enough because I think we won 1 0 in the first leg. leg. No, one first,
1: nil in the first leg? Yeah, 1 0 nil, one nil the second leg at home. We got a 0 0 uh, away okay. in the first All leg. Oh, right, Turin. wrong way around.
0: Fair enough. But that was a great, that was absolutely epic trip. Mostly, I, my main memory, I've, I've told this story before, forgive me, but um, we we were wandering around town in Turin before the game and uh, went into uh, some hotel for a drink or something, and the Torino team were there, and this was on the day of the match at about three or four o'clock and uh, andrea silenci who was their you know f- most feared striker was sort of standing around in all his sort of tracksuit you know just killing a bit of time before they went having an espresso and, uh, and we went and asked for photos <laughs> and my friend eugene when they were having a photo together tried to get in his head and was going tony adams Watch out, you know, Tony Adams is going to get you. And Celencia <laughs> had a nightmare, in fairness. So I've always thought that that was <laughs> really you, down to Eugene, Eugene that game, never mind anyone else. Um, well done,
1: Eugene. Nice work. Yeah,
0: always. And in the semi final? Semi final was the birth of 1 nil to the Arsenal uh, in Paris against Paris Saint Germain. Yes. Uh, they had George Ware and David Chinola uh, and were quite a feared team. They were, you know, it's funny, Paris Saint Germain are a weird his- team historically in that they were quite a young Team, um, even in the kind of 80s, that they, they, they'd not been around for a very long. It was strange that Paris is a major city and the involvement of like French football in the creation of so many important football things, World Cups, European uh, competitions, and so on. Um, they never really had great football from Paris, and it was considered a bit of a kind of um, manufactured club when Paris Saint-Germain sort of came along originally, and they weren't great. Uh, and their first period where I think they were really decent was roundabout when Arsenal played them and they put together a really good team. Uh, and then they sort of faded a bit and then have come back, obviously in the guys that we now see them as very powerful. Yeah. Um, Albeit with but, the help of uh, Petro dollars. But, you know. Indeed. But um, the game uh, at away was was a fantastic 1-1 draw. Yeah. Um, Ian Wright scored, I think, the equaliser, uh, and at half time, uh, basically the P- Par- Paris Saint-Germain had a song to the tune of "Go West," um, uh, and Arsenal adopted it at half time. Maybe it must have been one 0 at half time because I think they adopted it, and instead of, <laughs> I think the Paris Saint-Germain version was really uh, inspired, uh, "Ole Paris Saint-Germain" or something like that, and then. Having heard it all, game Arsenal fans in their, their corner decided to sing one nil to the Arsenal. Is that and where that it was, started? That was where it started. Absolutely.
1: Wow. What, a, what an outstanding fact! And in the yeah. home game, and the, the home, the home game, game was
0: was was one nil. Uh, the away game was a one all draw, and uh, that was very very tense and and uh, quite memorable for the. Booking that this sort of soft booking that Ian Wright that got, Ian which pulled him out of the final, yes. and he was very tearful, and I think we were all very we all tearful. Were. And we were. Very well. worried about it because he he was just immense in all those uh, all those knockout games. Kev Campbell, friend of the show, had been brilliant in that run as well with important goals. Um, and, and then Alan Smith got the final today. Well, however many years ago it was well, against Palmer.
1: Palmer well 27 years ago just by the way if you feel feeling uh, like you want to be made to feel like you're getting older (laughs) um, can you name the team Amy
0: I'll give it a good go I think you can actually so Dave Seaman in goal Uh, Lee Dixon Tony Adams Steve Bold Nigel Winterburn I indeed thinking of at the back Um, there was some some midfield changes because John Faxer Jensen was also ineligible um, in his home city of Copenhagen. And I think David Hillier, Paul Davis and Ian Selly played in midfield three.
1: Not David Hillier, no. Um, really? It okay, was hang, no, on, hang it, on. No, it wasn't, but you got Paul Selly and, uh, sorry, Selly, Ian Selly and Paul Selly Davis.
0: Davis, was there another unfamiliar midfielder? Think broken there?
1: collarbone
0: or whatever Ah, it there was. you go, Steve Morrow. Steve Apologies, Morris. Steve. I got my Steve Morrow and my... um. David Hillier mixed up, and, uh, and then and then uh, Merce, yep, Alan Smith. Yes, is that it?
1: No, oh, you I've got one more friend one. of the show. You just mentioned him. Kev Kev, Kev Campbell. Campbell played. Kev Campbell played, mm. and on the bench, by the way, not a lot going on on the bench. Um, how many? Ma-
0: how many were on the bench? There were five
1: days? on the bench. Really? Five.
0: Okay.
1: Um, Alan Miller right. was the goalkeeping. Yeah. Uh, sub. Can you remember any of the others? Uh,
0: now a plumber.
1: Andy Linegan. Andy yes, Linigan. indeed. <laughs> um, Baldrick played. Eddie McGoldrick played. <laughs> and, uh, and who are the other two? One midfielder, uh. one forward.
0: <laughs> um, James, John you can jump Hartson? in here. Could no, John Harts- Johnny oh, no, Hartson maybe. didn't
2: play. No, um,
0: oh, no, I don't think he played. I'm just thinking he
2: would like, have been on the bench. What was his name? Was it like Paul Shaw or someone like that? Paul,
1: oh, not I mean. sure. Dickoff. Paul Dickoff played. Paul Dickoff. Yeah, I know. Wow. Did I he know. come on? Uh, no, he didn't actually. And Ray Palmer was the other one.
0: Oh, of course, Ray.
1: And by the way, Palmer had uh, had Thomas Brolin uh, before he yeah. ballooned.
0: Uh, Fastino Aspria
1: and yeah. Gianfranco yes. Zola. Indeed. I mean, they had a serious yeah. team. And yeah, I remember us bad. riding our lucky at the game. back. Yeah, they were player. really, they really were a, a, a good team. But um, 1 0 to the Arsenal and Georgie Graham's Magic Cat. Um, I'll tell you get- what else
0: I remember. Do you, do you remember? Uh, I remember going around town beforehand in Copenhagen and the Arsenal fans outnumbered uh, their Palmer counterpart. Count, miles. counterparts quite a lot but also the other thing that was really noticeable is how well dressed all the Italian fans were <laughs> they there was a sort of there was a real look where they all sort of had the kind of almost um like those sailor shoes you know you know the the type of shoes that deck I mean that had those white soles yeah deck shoes and sort of slacks <laughs> and like a shirt with a sort of a, a pullover sort of wrapped around the shoulders and there was that kind of look going on They just didn't look like us. That's no, they didn't. No, they didn't look like us, and
1: they certainly didn't (laughs) have the fun we had. Tayo has just, by the way, said at the end, I'm declaring James is the winner. Because the competition was handicapped, handicapped as it's impossible to legislate for the Amy computer. I
2: think that's <laughs> you're too
1: clever right. for your own good, Amy. No, that's I
0: don't what... remember what we did, what happened last week. Though it's no, you know, it's a very kind of small <laughs> period. Arsenal of, stats of nerdness from 1990. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's that big and clever, to be honest. better a
1: bit
2: uh, with the handbrake at time.
1: yes ian stone here with amy lawrence and james mcnicholas on handbrake off uh yes as you just said amy that's a nice that we've we've just been talking about how you win cup finals and semi-finals as well, so they the boys have to go and do it on um, Thursday night. One of the blokes, one of the guys who won't be there, uh, but who we hope has a future at Arsenal. Um, James, you wrote about uh, Joe Willock and how he's doing at Newcastle United um, and uh, whether he'll come back to Arsenal.
2: Yeah, I was actually thinking when we beat Newcastle the other day, probably the last time we'll ever beat them because Joe Willock will score three or four goals every time we play them if he ever goes <laughs> there permanently. I, I, I uh, wow, I, I'm intrigued to see what happens with him because he does something that very few other players in this squad do, and score that's score goals, goals from midfield. midfield yes. Something we desperately need. Yep, the likes of Danny Ceballos and Thomas Partey, Granit Xhaka, it's not really a facet of their game that they've demonstrated. Um, have we got two
1: from midfield this year is that
2: right just, I mean I think Mohamed Elneny is our top goal scorer from midfield it tells
1: you a lot doesn't it really
2: yeah and credit to him I think he's improved in that respect I think his shooting does seem to have come on and you know he's he's taken the opportunities when they've come to him quite well but he's not a goal scorer certainly Joe Willock, meanwhile doing very well in that role for Newcastle even though he's not starting all the games coming on late in games and proving the difference in big, big matches too against the likes of you know Liverpool and Spurs so I think he's doing everything that you would have asked of him, really, when he when you send him out on loan. Um, and I think there's going to be gaps in the Arsenal midfield next season. Sabas presumably, is going to go back to Madrid. I think the chances of seeing either Lucas Torreira or Matteo Guendouzi in North London again are pretty slim. Uh, and that leaves you with not a huge amount. No. So there's definitely a chance from there. I think that the quandary arises where what if someone comes along and they offer you quite a lot of money for him? you know? Um, but then I'm not sure how inclined... Mike Ashley would be to do that anyway. So we'll see what happens.
1: Yes. I mean, one of the more depressing parts of the piece, James, was when you said there isn't a lot of money available. And I thought, well, you know, our owner is worth seven billion pounds, but apparently he doesn't Mm. want to splash out a few quid on, uh, on Joe Willock. Um, Amy, I, I there's some of the young players. I had it a bit with Reese Nelson. I'm certainly having it with uh, with Joe Willock. I invest quite a lot of hopes in in these guys. And I, and I once or twice when we saw Joe Willock score against Liverpool, scored that great goal in the League Cup, which we lost ridiculously five all or something on penalties. But I really would like him to do well and 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 be in the centre of that midfield for Arsenal for a few years.
0: Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, you know, everybody can. Um, well, Mikel Arteta. Clearly, what possibly? I don't know. I mean, look, what I, what I mean by that is, who wouldn't want to see um, no. academy graduates, uh, London boys, um, the kids who have that extra in their heart? You like to think whether we project that on them or whether it's real or at what point of the spectrum it exists. I don't know, but it feels important, and I think what the recent sort of examples of this kind of hairland fc um crop have shown is that how, it's how good you've got to be if you're going to be one of the ones who comes in and stays in and when you look at obviously saka and smith row um you know they, were, they are really part of a uh of a cluster which includes joe willock reese nelson Eddie and Katia, to an extent, although it was a slightly different situation because he, he was a youngster at Chelsea and then came in slightly later, but still is very much seen as part of that group and part of the academy. Um, you know, that's that's five lads who, in a way, have all had a similar chance. It would be impossible for all five, or very 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 rare for all five in a group like that to to come through and. Remain central uh, to the first team for years to come. I think getting two is pretty fantastic. Yes. Uh, it would be great if it was more than that. But you see the difference between the of the levels of what makes the difference when you come in that enables you to stay in. When you look at the high caliber of consistent performance from Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith Rowe, and Joe, Eddie and Reece have not been able to do that you know so uh, I get sorry I haven't even mentioned Ainsley Martin and Iles, who albeit slightly older is still sort of within that gang as well um, and he's still such a baffling situation because you know it felt like he had really forced his way into being an absolute major part of the scene You know, think back to the last uh, cup final semi-final yes. and how great he was and how aghast everybody was that he might be um a target of interest from another premier league club so going back to joe um agree with james really i'm i'm fascinated to see what the club feel about uh where they see joe's future i'd love to think he you know had one more chance at being a big part of things for arsenal but you know i think the challenge for him is to come into midfield and be as effective as the likes of Saka and Smith-Rowe have been further further forward, or in Saka's case, more or less anywhere.
1: Well, while we're talking about uh, rangy midfield players, uh, a random-ass generator uh, this week uh, is Paul Davis. Um, I mean, my personal thrill, really, uh, aside from uh, was it glenn Cockrell when he punched him <laughs> was um him sitting in front of us uh at, at the at uh, the emirates uh, for about five or six years and um and being and turning out to be a really nice guy and sharing um i think he actually bought some um maltesers for us all once it was it was quite a thrill i'll be honest with you i could talk about his football as well what a lovely footballer he was uh amy i'll come to you first
0: Minstrels, things, I'm
1: told. Sorry.
0: Okay. Uh, I, I can't comment on the buying um, uh, ability of Paul Davis, but he was a really wonderful footballer. And, you know, those who watched him routinely um, all seem to have a very strong feeling that he should have played a lot more for England than he, you know, he ever managed. Was it the punch um, that
1: did for him, though? Do you think there was something. In, in what you got a 9 Look, game ban, whole, him, didn't he? And, uh,
0: that whole yeah, maybe we should explain this for some listeners who might not be familiar with what happened. But um, uh, it, it was an incident that I think played quite a significant part in in Paul's career generally. Um, he was a you know very technically accomplished, uh, graceful, um, but also competitive left-footed midfield player, and. Uh, In the 1989 season, which some of you might be aware uh, I go on about quite a bit, um, Arsenal played against against Southampton quite early on in the season, and uh, Glenn Cockrell, who played for Southampton, was quite a character, let's just say. He was um, someone who went around making sure his presence was felt in matches. And he and Paul had a bit a, um, bit of an altercation, and off the ball sort of, I think, uh, more or less out of nowhere, Paul Davis took him out with a absolutely uh, explosive right hook and broke Glen Cockrell's jaw. Um, apparently at the time, I think, I think, if memory serves, uh, Gary Lewin came on to attend to Glen Cockrell because there was another player down at the time that the Southampton physio was already looking at. Or some, some story is sort of similar to that. But anyway, he was slightly involved with the diagnosis of this thing. And, then, and and apparently, I think the Southampton docs seemed to think that he was fine. No, nothing a bit of water wouldn't fix. I think he played on uh, amazingly with the broken jaw and later on was obviously x-rayed and the extent of the damage was there. But what was interesting about it is it was the first in this age of Vile, This probably seems ridiculous, but it was the first uh, incident in football that was known as trial by television. So, uh, because it was caught on camera, even though it was completely missed by the referee at the time, um, it was all over the ten o'clock news, and it became a you know a big thing. And he got an absolutely monumental ban, nine matches. Um, and in a way, I think he felt his season certainly didn't recover, and uh, he was you know he fell out of contention for the team that went on to win the league, uh, famously. And I struggled to get back in and I think always found it a little bit difficult to feel that same emotion that most of his mates feel about 1989 because yeah. it's a sort of pretty bittersweet moment for him. And I think it did put, quite potentially, there are people who think that that might have impacted on his uh, chances of getting in, say, the 1990 World Cup contention and so on. Um, but it was something that anybody knows, knows Paul knows what a, a response respectful, uh, kind, uh, quiet, articulate, nice guy he is. So for him to do something like that, let's just say it's hard to believe he wasn't provoked. And although nobody has ever come out and said anything, you can imagine that it might have been something very provocative and upsetting for Paul to have done what he did.
1: Quite. Yeah. Um- James, I mean, how how where were you of Paul Davis growing up?
0: Not
2: very, I have to admit. Um, having been decimated in the quiz, I'm going to get absolutely annihilated <laughs> in this one too. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think let's hope my luck's in on Thursday, and you know it's all feels worth it then. But I think um, I have seen obviously bits and pieces of him playing, and he was clearly a really able player. I think arguably. Probably among the best Arsenal players to have not English Arsenal players to have not won a proper cap. I think Uh, you know I've certainly seen him mentioned in 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 that bracket. Um, What I mainly remember about him is when he left the club. He made a really unusual move. He went to Scandinavia, I think, didn't he? Played in Norway or Sweden, something like that. Um, But I didn't get to see him play, you know, live. Uh, i don't think ever i watched
1: him i watched him a lot paul davis and and i mean really the word that comes to mind is underappreciated i mean if you think about rocky rocastle and uh, michael thomas and he was really the third of those three and he probably got less attention than the other two and I, i i mean i remember watching george graham uh back in the uh, in the early seventies and he had a little bit of George Graham about him. He was a very cool customer. He made his debut at uh, eighteen against Spurs. You know, you I, I think I think for a, for an eighteen year old to make their debut against Tottenham in an Arsenal That's a big shirt deal. is yeah. you well it tells you something about the guy's character, doesn't it, really? And and although I can't picture that much of him playing I remember watching him at the time and and he was calm under pressure. And and it's something I admired greatly about him. Amy?
0: Um, Well, we're talking about uh, the 94 Copenhagen glorious memories. And I'd say that Paul Davis was phenomenal in that match. If you watch it again, uh, bearing in mind that he was part of a very unfamiliar uh, midfield in such a massive game. Um, You know, he held it together. Uh, Ordinarily, he would have probably had some different, uh, more experienced players alongside him. And he, you know, they were such a good team and his performance on the day was was really instrumental. Plus, I think if you look back to even when Alisson won the league in 91, I mean, he missed out on 89, as we said. Uh it's to his credit really that when Arsenal won the league in ninety one he came back in. I think he had a period he fell out with George at one point and was really not really in the picture. But he kept having this ability to come back and get involved, whether it was ninety one, whether it was uh ninety four, to be a major player when it mattered. Yes. Um So yeah, that was that was Davo really. Another just a small point that I'll mention that I think is is really worthwhile is um Having uh, had the chance to speak to him, you know, when he came through, as you mentioned, he was a young, you know, black South London boy um, coming through in an era where there were not huge numbers of role models. Uh, if you were a young black footballer.
1: He was slightly older game, than the other guys. He was. It, he was
0: He was a few years older than than, than uh, uh, Thomas Wellcastle and then Kev. Kev Campbell and Ian Wright and so on. But that generation who came through, they they really looked up to Paul and I think he saw it as a bit of a job of his to look after them. And they used to call him Pops. That was his nickname uh, amongst those lads. Um, Because he was
1: 22 instead of 19. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. well, But I I think that was something that always meant a lot to him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, OK, well, I'm gonna, listen, I'm going to give that one to James just because. Thanks, you know, mate. <laughs> that's all right. I think
2: you deserve re- it. Really. You've really looked after me today. <laughs> I, I quit. Appreciate it.
1: That's, that's, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Don't go off in the strop. It's all right. We need a song. <laughs> we need a song first. Amy, what you got?
0: Um, well, I had two songs and one was like really, really pessimistic. Uh, <laughs> right. And one was really, really optimistic. Um, just in terms of the, um, the game coming up on Thursday. So, should I go for the pessimistic one or the optimistic one? <laughs> it's totally up to you, mm. Amy Lawrence. <laughs> All right, I will not choose the pessimistic one, which is tricky's "Hell is Around the Corner," um, and I will go for the optimistic one, which is New Eureka Soul um, with a phenomenal vocal by Jocelyn Brown called "It's All Right, I Feel It."
1: OK. Uh, James, are you going positive
0: or negative?
2: Well, I think this is more negative than positive. It's been stuck in my head. I don't know if you remember, but when Villarreal opened the scoring um, against us last week, their tannoy system played ACDC's oh, Highway to Hell. It did.
1: It was weird, wasn't it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I hope that we're not the ones on the Highway to Hell. I hope we can send Unai Emory and his team packing on one on Thursday. But, yeah, I'm going to go for that track.
1: Tremendous tune. I'm having uh, Dreaming by Blondie, because I am dreaming of Gdansk. (laughs) I don't think anyone's ever said that before, but I am. (laughs) Don't think Debbie Harry
0: was ever dreaming of Gdansk. I'm not sure. Lech Walesa
1: probably was dreaming of Gdansk. Look it up, kids, all right? Uh, But anyway, uh, I'm having Dreaming. That's it for Handbrake Off. My God, fingers crossed for Thursday. Thank you to Amy. Thank you to James. Thank you to Tapa Papula, our producer. I've been Ian Stone. Thanks for listening. See you soon. <music>